one rule. Everyone fights, no one quits. If you don't do your job, I'll shoot you. Do you get me? We get you, sir! Welcome to the Roughnecks. Ratcats, Roughnecks! At ease, listen up! Come on, you idiot! Would you like to know more? Well, welcome back, everybody, to Take Me to Your Reader, discussing adapted science fiction at its best and worst. I'm Seth. I'm James. I'm Colin. And this time we are joined by our very first non-in-person guest, Mr. Nicholas Jensen. So, Nick, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, Nick had reached out to us on Facebook, and then I think through the contact form, sent us some thoughts on iRobot. And in the course of that email, he made the mistake of saying, uh, if you ever need a guest... <laughs> Just let me know. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, let's do that. And so I told him kind of what our tentative plans were that we were thinking about doing Starship Troopers. And he said, well, I'm reading that at the moment. So it was convenient. It was perfect. So this is yep. what we're going to do. So Nick, why don't you tell us a little about your kind of history as a science fiction fan, how you found us, say nice things about us. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. So ever since I was you know, young, I've always had an interest in uh, science and math and astronomy and space and that kind of thing and that sort of just you know for me led to you know reading science fiction i think my grandpa was a big influence in introducing me to science fiction books and stuff like that so uh, he was a big influence for me getting started in there but i got a physics degree and an aerospace engineering degree so um right now i'm actually working on the uh nasa's space launch system it's the uh you know, the heavy lift rocket that'll be going to Mars eventually, hopefully. Sweet. So, cool. sort of a dream. <laughs> so, so what what was that one called in, in the Martian? That one's called um, Hermes, right? Yeah, Her- Hermes was the platform, right? Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think actually in uh, Interstellar, they do call it the SLS. That's what they're using in that, so... Oh, nice. That's what we're working. I work for Boeing, and we have the contract to design... Nice test and build the core stage of the space launch system so and you're permitted to actually tell us this <laughs> yeah that's that's a uh, public knowledge <laughs> okay good. we don't want to get you in trouble there's some cool videos that maybe i could link to that show you know what what we're doing and where we're going with all that kind of stuff so cool well definitely send me those i, I put them in the show notes this would be so awesome uh, for the martian <laughs> right yeah 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 well i have a guest in mind for for the martian but um you know, if uh, if we need you, uh, we'll we'll call you. Okay. Yeah, um, like I said, I have a, a physics degree and aerospace engineering degree, and I have you know minors in astronomy and math and stuff. So not any kind of okay. expert, but you know you can always bounce ideas off me if you need some. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're gonna you're gonna be the guy we ask all the technical questions. Yeah, <laughs> and I'll maybe make up answers, but hopefully not. Hopefully, I know what you're asking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how did you find us? Um. So my uh, twin brother is actually really into. Um, podcasts and stuff, and he kind of introduced me to podcasting in general. Um, and one of the first uh, podcasts that I started listening to is called uh, Now Playing, and they do movie reviews. And um, they have a sister podcast where they it's called Books and Nachos. And they if they're doing a movie, you know, if they're doing a movie that has a you know based off a book or anything like that, sometimes they'll do the book review in this other podcast. And so I always thought that was really great. And um, from there, I started looking for specifically science fiction movie podcasts. And I can never find any really good science fiction book podcasts, unfortunately, because you know, I was really interested in that, too. And uh, actually, I found my way to 
the sci-fi movie podcast and that's where you know i heard a plug for your guys' show and i was actually really ecstatic i think i you know when i first contacted Yusuf as like I've been looking for a podcast like this forever where you know you talk about sci-fi books and then the movies is just a bonus and so yeah, yeah. it was really great to find your guys' podcast cool well I do That's want awesome. to send a plug back to uh, the sci-fi movie podcast which everybody can find at sci-fi movie podcast.com and we appreciate their uh, podcast friendship so I figure almost all of our listeners came to us from them so. <laughs> Um, so, Starship Troopers, I guess we can move into actually talking about this. Um, had any of you guys read the book before? Yes. Not I. Okay. Nope. Okay. I couldn't, I couldn't remember, James, if you had, because I knew you had been agitating to cover this one for a while. Yeah. And I didn't, didn't remember if it was based on the, the movie or the book or, or a mixture of both. Yeah. I had read the, I'd read the book previously and I was all kinds of pissed off that they didn't have the powered armor in the movie. Because that would have been so cool. That would have been rad. Yeah. Um, this is one where it was one of my dad's favorite books and he used to, uh, he used to go find himself a copy in like the discount bookstores down in the, at the outlet centers in, uh, Lincoln city mm-hmm. when they'd go to the coast and then leave it here. And so eventually I'm like, I got to read this book, you know, find out what all the fuss is about. So, right. so I, I was also glad that, uh, that we got to cover it. Yeah. Now Colin, this, this one was new for you though, right? I think I'd seen bits and pieces of the movie on like, you know, TNT or uh, or TBS, but you know, I've never read the book before. Okay. See, it's pretty rare that James and I stump you and, and have you read this. <clears throat> it is True. quite rare. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, uh, Nick, you said you hadn't read this one either, right? No, I, I was very aware of the movie. I own the movie and I've seen that numerous times and, and mm-hmm. I was aware of the book and I'd been meaning to read it for a really long time, but I won't get into my history with Heinlein, but I was sort of not super, super eager to read oh, yeah. some of his stuff. But, um, you know, I really, really liked the, you know, the movie. I was like, well, the book's usually better. So uh, I finally mm-hmm. found, you know, the book at a used bookstore, sort of like you said. And so I grabbed it and finally got around to reading it just, yeah, a couple months ago. I started it and that's when I yeah. found your guys' podcast. So I sort of stopped while we were in discussions. And so now, yeah. now you've made me curious about your history with Heinlein. <laughs> <laughs> have, have you read read other Heinlein books and not enjoyed them? Uh, yeah, I've read a couple. Um, I started with Stranger in a Strange Land, and ooh, I heard I, that one's a a tall pole. Yeah, and I know like That's you know this and <laughs> <laughs> there it is. I know uh, I know Starship Troopers and Stranger in a Strange Land are probably his you know most famous books, and mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe I've been maybe I was a little too young when I read that book because it's you know, it's got some pretty deep stuff. And I think I was in maybe junior high or something, but. Yeah, it was it was a slog to get through. I didn't really super enjoy it, so it sort of put me off of him for a while. And I think I read one other book of his. I think Friday. Did you work a book called Friday? Which I think was. A I'm little, not familiar with that one. I think that was a little bit better, but again, I just wasn't you know super impressed. And there's lots of other books on my queue to read, so that's why it took so long to get around to this. Yeah, one one book that's a slog can can leave a bad taste in your mouth. I I am aware of this. So I I mean I. Uh, I don't know if the rest of us have read much Heinlein either. I mean, we read the All You Zombies story for Predestination, and then I also read um, By His Bootstraps, which was kind of a similar theme in terms of kind of loopy time travel sort of stuff. So I guess right here would be a decent time um, to say that in the course of doing research for this podcast, I came across the Heinlein Society and just shot in the dark, threw out an email to their president and said, hey, we're going to be talking about Starship Troopers. Would 
do you have somebody who would like to come and, you know, discuss it with us or, or do an interview or something? And Keith Cotto, the president of the Heinlein Society, graciously accepted. And so I did a Skype call with him earlier, you know, a week ago. And um, so I have part of it that I'm thinking of stitching into this podcast and um, probably at the end, I suppose. But I'm going to release the rest of the interview as a separate episode, because I think it was, there was some interesting stuff in it and he had all kinds of reading recommendations. So there's some of the juveniles that I, that I definitely want to, to check out, like have spacesuit will travel. (laughs) It's a good title. So, (laughs) yeah. So, uh, why don't we start talking about the book or do, do we need to do the story? The story. Are, Are you the story guy, James? Oh, sure. All right. Okay. So the story, uh, we're in the future. I don't know. Did they ever actually give a year, like 2037 or 35 or something like that? I don't remember. Okay. Anyway, sometime in the future, after a uh, kind of apocalyptic sort of war, World War Three of sorts, right, between the Chinese hegemon and Russo-America alliance or something like that, and the whole world falls apart, veterans take over, establish this cool little uh, new world government, new world order. Um, let's see. You have two castes of society now, citizens and civilians, and to become a citizen, you have to do federal service. And that pretty much sets up the stage for the world. And uh, I think in the book, we actually start off in alter- in interstellar colonies and travel and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So we're already not at war, but kind of like a Cold War situation with the skinnies, I guess. Yeah. We're kind of raiding their cities, make, you know, letting them know who's in charge, right? Right, yeah, it kind of drops you in in somewhere in the middle of the rest of the narrative of the of the book, right? Which I thought was a good move actually to drop you in with an action sequence. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it's a good start. Yeah, and then and then start and then comes along the bugs. They start you know bombarding the planet, and so mm-hmm. we go out after them. And it, that's kind of about it for the general story. Uh, the main character is Johnny Rico. Uh, the story follows him. Very much follows him because <laughs> this is the one thing, the only thing that annoyed me about the book was any time where it started to get close to another character, the narrative would be like, yeah, we're not going to talk about that though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the only thing. And that's what I was, I, I couldn't tell. At the beginning, I thought it was kind of laziness on Heinlein's part maybe. But then I realized throughout the story that yeah, I guess the focus is really Rico and his story. So Veering off to other characters might be distracting, I suppose, or something. I don't know. Yeah. But we follow Johnny through the bug war. It's not through the entirety because it's not really finished by the time the book is finished. Um, But the story is about Johnny Rico and his progression from civilian life through a terrible boot camp experience, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then all the way through his infantry time to become enlisted, to become an officer, etc. I guess we can stop there. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, probably can. Um, well, why don't we uh, we talk about what we thought about the book, what um, anything that stuck out to you, anything you want to talk about. So, Nick, you want to go first? Uh, yeah, I guess I'll just uh, follow on what James was saying about the, the first-person narrative. I also sort of found it a little, not distracting, but like you said, there was, there's not really many other characters that he focuses on or anything and interacts with very heavily. And it wouldn't be so bad if, you know, Johnny Rico wasn't just so boring in my opinion i mean he wasn't a very interesting character i mean it would have been fine if he was really interesting but in my opinion i thought he was just not a good you know 
main character to be following the whole time without any interaction. I get the impression he's very of like average IQ. (laughs) (laughs) I think that plays out in the movie. (laughs) True. Yep. So I just thought, yeah, I didn't think he was that great of a you know main character, and and since it's all on him, that, that was sort of. Uh, yeah, I think his for me. story is more. I think it's more about his experiences more than him himself. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Colin, what about you? Thoughts? I really enjoyed the book. I, you know, I'd, my first experience was with the movie, and I could kind of take it or leave it. And I've I've read a bunch of military science fiction. I wouldn't mm-hmm. say like you know not tons and tons of it, but I've read I've read the Bolo series. Uh, I've read John Scalzi's Old Man's War, and you know I I enjoy the genre. And so, you know, I know a lot of people have bashed the book because they say it's fascist or racist or pro-military, and it's pretty unabashedly pro-military, but I thought it did its job pretty well. You were wrong. <laughs> I, I thought it was interesting that it's, it's not slow, but the story unfolds very kind of gradually. It doesn't, it's not super, super fast paced, but I never found it boring. And, and it is, like you guys said, it's very focused, right? It's this very personal kind of... Uh, story about one guy, but doesn't go into great depth in terms of his character, really. Mm-hmm. It, it's more about the nuts and bolts of here's how federal service works. Here's how, here's what happened at boot camp. It, it's kind of like a journal almost, um, only less personal right. somehow. Yeah. I thought, I thought that the, uh, the second half was actually pretty slow. I enjoyed the I first know. half. Yeah. And I was not, you know, super concerned with the pace that and not a lot of action going on, but that was fine. I was interested, and I thought just, you know, the second half should have been picking up or kept that pace, and I thought it slowed down a lot in the second half. But. I think that may be a consequence of the the first chapter is is pretty cool and kind of fast-paced right. and you know, introduces you to the concept of the powered armor and the mobile infantry and, you know, uh, rocket launchers with nukes on them, mm-hmm. which sounds awesome. Um, but... But, yeah, then there, then then it does it does slow down a bit. I, I didn't find it to be a slog, but... Um, but I thought it was interesting that it felt like it was a longer book, even though it's fairly short. It it read like a longer book somehow. I don't know. Well, it could be a problem with putting all that action up front, right? You know, the thing about the tactical nukes on the rocket launchers, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, they have the National uh, Nuclear Energy Museum. And they have a bunch of weapons as part of their collection. And they have one of those. Nice. What? A handheld tactical nuke? Yeah. Does exist? <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe it was Jeep mounted. Probably. Well, I know uh, they yeah. made like backpack nukes. You know, I got to say, I think it's cool that 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 yeah. our guest is a rocket scientist, and the guy that Seth interviewed <laughs> is a uh, he's a ray gun. He's a ray gun, ray gun scientist. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And we're and just, we're all just silly computer scientists. That's right. We're just a bunch of geeks. <laughs> Why don't we talk about? We can kind of talk about some of the kind of controversy about it. I think one of the problems with the book being so focused on Rico and his experiences mm-hmm. is that it does make the book seem mil- seem to be militaristic and that the military is the only way you can perform a federal service and become citizen, right? And I don't think that's right. actually the case. Right. No, and so I was actually re- kind of rereading the sections on on federal service and and yeah, it's all technically military but it's not all combat positions. Right. Um, so, you know, he, he was talking about how he didn't want to be like a, a guy digging trenches or... Right. Um, he didn't want to be a CB because <laughs> that's what CBs do. <laughs> What's a CB? A CB? It's the uh-huh. uh, military support wing of the Navy. They go to 
Okay. Like in World War II, they would go pre-stage, or they would, after they would follow the Marines and build like air bases on little islands and stuff like that. Oh, they're okay. like the That's military engineers, right? Yeah, they're they're military engineers. Yes, James is our token veteran, so he's the only one who's allowed to vote, according to <laughs> Heinlein. So one of the controversies is that it's the book is militaristic, right? right. I mean, it describes a society in which the the poll tax, like like I was talking to Keith Cotto about, is essentially your life, right? You have you have to risk put your life on the line in order to earn the privilege of citizenship and voting. That's only if you're a combat guy, really, right? I mean, the, the yes. poll tax is federal service. Yeah, but but the idea is you go where they where they put you. Sure. You don't really have a choice. They 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 try and use you to maximum effectiveness. Right. So but if you're, if you're somebody if you're super smart, like say Carl, right in the movie, they're not mm. going to throw you an MI. Exactly. Yeah. What what I thought was interesting was uh, when they're taking their oath and and you know he was thinking it's a two year term, right? And right. then they're taking their oaths and it says serve no less than two years or for as long as the military needs me, essentially. Right. And like oh okay. <laughs> So you better enlist when they're not at war. <laughs> yeah. Well, he did enlist when they weren't at war. They went to war later. <laughs> right. Uh. I, I did think it was interesting, though, the, the kind of comment about going from being at peace to being in a state of emergency to being at war. And he didn't really notice it because he was, you know, he's just... Yeah, serving. I thought that was yep. pretty interesting where it wasn't um, a hard, fast, like, we're going to war, like in the movie where it's, like, declared. It was just sort of gradually built up, which I thought was right. seemed a little more realistic, maybe. Or, yeah, I thought that was interesting, too. Yeah, I mean, you know, for the soldier who's who's doing his job, you know, it, he's not the guy making the decision to go to war. So no. those decisions are made at the gra- at the gradual rates. part is definitely more realistic. Yeah, from a veteran perspective. <laughs> James, do you, do you not care for the book or? No, I like the book. You did okay. I'm just pointing out my my faults in it. Uh, okay, or my problems with it, I guess. Which okay. really isn't that many. So I actually like the book. True. Yeah, and I, and and you know yeah. the, the the powered armor is pretty sweet. Oh, it rocks. Yeah. Uh, anything else we want to talk about about the book? I think I think we can still talk about some of the other kind of interesting concepts in it. One of the things people bash the book about is they say it's racist. Yeah, which I don't get. Yeah, I don't get it either. Um, well, I think I think they're they're looking at the bugs as a faceless enemy. And, you know, that's something that we do to our, our enemy in order to dehumanize them. But in this case, they're actually bugs. And they're not human. Right. <laughs> yeah, and they're not human. So so I, to kind of interpret that in a racist way is, is a strange interpretation for me. Mm-hmm. Is that, well, is, is that the justification for people saying it's racist? Yeah, I was reading on Wikipedia on some of the controversies, you know, accusations of racism. Um, oh. And there's there's obviously the accusations of uh, fascism, right? Where the right. it's it's a, it's kind of a military state. Yeah, I guess, you know, talking about the controversy and you look up anything about it, it's like, oh, it's so, such a controversial book and stuff. Like, I, did, I didn't see anything controversial about it at all. Like, reading it, I was like, why? I mean, no, I didn't either. if you yeah. can maybe put yourself back in the late 50s, I mean, I guess, but it's so hard to do that with a book. It's easier to do that if you're watching a movie or something, if it's a black and white movie, like, all right, this was filmed back in the day. Mm-hmm. But reading a book, it's mm-hmm. for me, it's a lot harder to do that, and I'm just reading it as, you know, its own standalone story, and I didn't see any controversial anything right. like that. So maybe that also plays into why I maybe didn't enjoy it as much, because maybe if there's all this controversy going on, it's mm. a little more interesting, but <laughs> I didn't see anything controversial right. about it, and I liked the, like I said, I liked the first half a lot, but the second half was, 
especially when there's like a whole chapter where he's just describing military ranks and the organization of the military and it's like i don't need you to describe this in such detail as this <laughs> yeah i told my i told my wife a couple of times i was like man if i wasn't doing this podcast i'd probably put this book down and that's i've i've only done that a couple like a handful of times in my entire life i finished Ouch. books i'm sort of stubborn that way and i was yeah i was struggling through it for me i don't know why but <laughs> huh. i actually found that part interesting because i had been in the navy so i was like comparing it i'm like oh yeah it's kind of like this kind of like that kind of not like that <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i figured you would have a, a different perspective on it Although, you know, the uh, the MI grunts, of course, didn't have much nice to say about the Navy. Right. No. So. Nor that's, that's true in real life, too, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just drive, right? Um, so, yeah, in kind of going back to the racism thing, too, the, the thing that stuck out to me is that um, – it's it's kind of a diverse cast, you know, in the in the book because Johnny Rico is Filipino. Although it's not it's not explicit, like he doesn't describe the characters as certain races, um, but you have you have him, and then you have other other names. It's pretty that sound implicit, Latin. though. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's so, why the racist comment makes no sense, right? Yeah, as I wasn't picturing it as a bunch of white people, right? So, like Shijumi, the samurai guy. Like I don't think he's <laughs> like, yeah. right. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's another failing of the movie for me. Yeah, you know the other thing yeah. about the fascist state is most of the time when you have a book that talks about fascism, the main character is against it rather than in it and participating in it. Sure. And when they describe the little bits of civilian life that they do, I mean, there was open travel and there was unregulated business, mm-hmm. so it's not like you had to get a permit or stand in lines. Because when we think of fascism, I think in our right. in the real world we think of um, you know dictatorships. We think of maybe maybe communism, maybe not. We think of like Nazi Germany, right? Right. Or or, or Italy under Mussolini. Right. Yeah, where fascism goes towards the state, right? So one of the other things in the book uh, that that sticks out and is is commonly picked upon is the the idea. Well, a couple of things. Well, one of them is the the corporal punishment that they that they show yeah. mm-hmm. that they talk about and and there's a there's a kind of a lengthy monologue i think it's by mr dubois or whatever his name is about corporal punishment and and how that's the only effective way to prevent delinquentism yeah i like that which speech. was awesome totally <laughs> reminded like me of that <laughs> caning caning incident of that kid in uh singapore well like right. 10 years ago now or something like that um, but the, the other thing was, you know, the the takedown of the idea that violence never solves anything, which did make it into the movie, incidentally. But right. it, it's one of those things where people do say that, right? That I, mm-hmm. I see bumper stickers all the time that say there was never a bad peace or a good war. And I'm like, are you sure? Totally sure about that? <laughs> but, I mean, people tend to be reductionistic, right? And bumper stickers especially. Right. Um, yeah. I, liked, I, I heard a comedian once who said, basically all bumper stickers should just say, let's never hang out. Because <laughs> they're so so yeah. reductionistic that they're likely to offend about half the people. Yeah, that was two of my favorite parts of the book. Actually, were in his what was it called the history of moral philosophy and <laughs> in, in school, and then again when he's an officer's training. I thought those are part of more of the interesting parts of the book when they have those kind of deep discussions. And I thought that yeah, that speech that you're talking about, yeah, you're talking about in in his high school class where they're talking about. How in our, you know, Western cultures, you know, the rampant overpopulation in prisons was because we couldn't deal with 
uh, juvenile delinquents and stuff like that, and he right. equates it to uh, training a, a puppy, which I just got a puppy, right. so I know what he's talking about there. But <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I sort of, I, I sort of was siding with him when he was talking that way. It was just like, yeah, you know, you don't do anything to anybody, and you expect them mm-hmm. to change when they turn 18. It is sort of right. completely unrealistic. So I liked that. And again, later. I think sometimes the book is criticized because they figure that that those rants, you know, in that class are definitely Heinlein's philosophy, where I don't think it's necessarily the case. I mean, an author can put words in a character's mouth and have them be sort of a, you know, well, here's my opinion slanted a little bit, you know, or, you know, he, he can do whatever he wants. It doesn't have to be his actual philosophy. More of a thought experiment, right? Not, right, yeah. yeah. It's speculative. Mm-hmm. Speculative fiction. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, about wrapped on the book. Any, anybody got anything else? I just was gonna wanted to mention another part that I did like was the uh, that doesn't get talked about in the movie was the uh, the canine core. I thought that was really interesting. Um, they have right. a person oh, yeah. mentally, psychically linked with a with a dog, and um, I thought that was a really cool concept. And they talk about it earlier. And mm-hmm. that, you know, if the dog gets killed in combat or something like that, then it really messes up the human because they're psychically linked or mentally linked. Sure. That was really cool. And then at the end of the book, they talk about when the dogs would first, they were used as scouts and they would see the bugs and they had some sort of um, <laughs> self, you know, suiciding uh, mechanism that they could trigger. And so they'd just get super freaked out when they saw the bugs and kill themselves. And they just <laughs> kind of mentioned that in a blip. And they never... I don't know if you're supposed to call back to the beginning and think about it, but they never talk about how all of these people that all these dogs are linked to would totally be messed up for, for a long time after that. I thought right, it was pretty interesting. Right. And they didn't really hit on that again, but I thought that was really interesting. Kind of made me think of uh, a boy and his dog. <laughs> right. Uh. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was another one we dearly loved. <laughs> so I think it's probably time to start talking about the movie. One of the things that I Where to found start? out... Yeah, they, well, <laughs> it wasn't originally based on the book. It's it's a similar right. story to what we talked about about iRobot, mm-hmm. where it was based on a different script, yeah, or a different, like a spec script or something. And then they're like, oh, hey, by the way, we have the rights to Starship Troopers. And part of it, as I understand it, um, and Keith Cotto talked about this on our interview, was that the script for the the screenplay for that other movie that they were going to make was so derivative of Starship Troopers that people would have gone, oh, that's a total ripoff. And so it sort of made sense to slap the Starship Troopers name on it, but but it doesn't really adapt all that much of the book. And that right. sort of and it really makes sense when you read the book and then watch the movie that that's how it feels. They took names and sort of the situations and stuff, but yeah, it's, hey, yeah. there's bugs. Yeah. They're totally different though. <laughs> in the book they're intelligent and have bugs uh, in the right in the service. in the book they have weapons and <laughs> ships and they're intelligent and different yeah, so that makes sense that it was a different script right. to begin with. You, you, you get the impression uh, that all the uh, ships wouldn't bunch up right outside the planet's atmosphere and run into each other. Right. <laughs> and the book, the mobile infantry is actually immobile. And I want my suits. Right. <laughs> yep. Suits. At least in the movie, like, in the movie they could have included vehicles and more effective technology and weapons, but they didn't really. I mean, they're they're using rifles that look pretty much... Like regular old M16s, but with junk attached to it to make it look more spacey right. or something. I don't know. Yeah, futury M16s. Yeah, it's retarded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, um, I, I'm going to start with the positive about the movie. Um, as as I put on Facebook, it is glorious. It's uh, 
Oh, yeah. You know, the, the bug effects are cool. It's a mixture of practical and CG. Um, you know, they had sort of life-size models um, that they could use for, for certain scenes. And and so there's some pretty pretty outstanding creature effects. And I, I especially like the uh, vivisection scene at, at the school. <laughs> that was pretty cool. That was cool. Which was awesome. <laughs> um, it's always good to see Denise Richards uh, throw up. Um, that was that was the one convincing piece of acting in the movie from her. But yeah, so for for me, like some some of the effects, and just in terms of watching it for spectacle and and kind of a dumb movie, um, I did I did enjoy it on that level. Yeah, I agree. I just watched it last night, and I was actually really surprised how well the special effects hold up. I like I said, I've watched it a lot, but not in you know a couple of years maybe, and I was actually really surprised how well the effects hold up, and I thought they were really good and. As far as that goes, I think making the bugs a little simpler and not, you know, having the different warriors and workers and having intelligence right. and them have weapons and stuff, I thought it was actually probably, again, maybe not a conscious choice since they were doing this already before, but, you know, it'd probably be a lot easier to do with the technology that they had and stuff, so. Right, right. Yeah. I think pulling off the bugs was certainly easier than pulling off the suits at the time. And so, so I understand that choice, and so I don't ding the movie too much for that. Um, but, but it is the thing that you kind of look for when you go when you right. see that movie, yeah. right? Well, it, if they didn't include the suits, at least they could have had something else—better guns, you know, tanks, anything. Yeah, what I found interesting was how ineffective the the rifles were against the bugs, except <laughs> yeah. for when they were effective. <laughs> well, they're effective if you can get thirty people surrounding him. I was gonna say I made that comment when we were watching. I was like, if you know Carl Doogie Hauser can take one down with a couple of shots in the cage, like why can't these you know, actually right. military infantry do it without shooting them a hundred times? <laughs> right. Yeah, and at various times their guns seem to be more effective than at others. Right. Um, so after I had posted that on Facebook that this movie is glorious, um, my my sister Megan had commented that that. Uh, she loves the movie, and so does her, her husband, and, and our dad loved it as well. Um, and then Michael Simshauser had said, Fairhoven loved his squibs. <laughs> yep. And then we also had a comment from Christina Leathers said, love that movie, LOL. So so a lot of, a lot of people seem to enjoy it on the... It's definitely one of those like cult classic action movie. things, right? My two favorite yeah. things are the bad acting and the great effects. <laughs> oh, see, now that, I, I'm going to disagree with you there. I... I enjoy it as a dumb action movie, but I think I could have really enjoyed it if they had not had such bad acting. No, I, the bad acting is so bad, it's good. I wrote down during while we were watching the movie, Denise Richards can bad act a smile. <laughs> so Yeah. <laughs> I, I do think, too, that the, the movie would have been improved by eliminating the love square thing that they had going, where you had right. John, Johnny loves Carmen and Carmen... Like likes two guys and Dizzy loves Johnny. Uh, and Carl's is stuck in the middle. <laughs> Poor Doogie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Colin, hmm. comment on movie. I uh, yeah. It, it's a dumb action movie. You know, it, it took a it adapted a thoughtful book with political commentary and you know philosophy and and thought and made it a, a big dumb action movie where you know you're taught to shoot taught to shoot guns in a certain way that don't work unless you need them to. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Are you saying the, the sarcasm felt completely flat? Yeah. yeah. Or the satire, I guess the yeah. satire felt completely flat. Yeah. I didn't get yeah. it. No, yeah. me neither. Actually, when Seth had told me it was supposed to be a satirical or something like that, I was like, really? 
didn't really seem like it. It, seemed, it just seemed funny and stupid. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, in the show notes, I'll put a whole bunch of articles from different perspectives because there's there's a large range of opinion on this movie. Either either right. it's just a complete piece of crap or it's this brilliant satire that nobody understands. <laughs> nobody understands it. It can't be that good. Right. Well, I mean, we've seen other Fairhoven movies, right? <laughs> Total Recall was awesome. RoboCop is awesome. And, and right. RoboCop definitely has some satire in it. And and it, it works. I think it works in way. RoboCop. Yeah. So in this one, you have you have the kind of fascist imagery in the film. Right. You have the uniforms that look like SS uniforms, mm-hmm. and you have you have all the little propaganda films that go on. Right. And of course, you know, we used propaganda films in in World War Two. Oh, sure. Um, you know, we're we're doing our part. Let, let me, as an aside, my favorite my favorite part in the movie is actually when the kids are all stomping the roaches, and they're like, <laughs> "We're doing our part too." <laughs> Y'all look the same. And my girl's maniacally laughing in the uh, background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are some gnarly yeah. huge bugs too. <laughs> yeah, they, they were they were good. They had ones. to import those. They got pretty good sized bugs in real life. Yeah, I mean, if this is supposed to be in South America, I th- they've got some yeah. quality roaches there. I think. I think they got some quality roaches probably in Alabama, too. <laughs> I saw a huge beetle the other day. I know they do in South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, I, I spent some time in Texas, and the, those were not outsized examples of what you would see in Texas, yeah. either. So, exceptions. Um, I, I I said the acting is pretty terrible. I, I Casper Van Dien does nothing for me. Um, Denise Richards, I think, is awful. Um, ooh, ooh, but, ooh, is your exception Michael Ironside? Michael Ironside, of course, is always awesome. Clancy Brown is the other bright spot. You know, I, I love the oh, way yeah. he like throws the knife through the guy's hand and then calls for the medic. You know, breaks the guy's arm. <laughs> medic. <laughs> so that was cool. And you know, the girl who played Dizzy, I thought did a pretty good job. And I had a really, really hard time understanding how Johnny was more attracted to Carmen um, because right. I thought Dizzy was much, much prettier. Love is blind. I guess there's a plot hole in the movie that I that I wanted you guys to weigh in on. Just one? Okay, one one major one. Like, my, my major gripe. They're at war with the bugs, presumably quite a distance away, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yet the bugs successfully launch a meteor at Buenos Aires in, you know, weeks or months. Right. Uh, how's that work? It doesn't. <laughs> Telekinesis. <laughs> Even so, how, how, how do you get up, up to the speed to get from Clendothu or whatever it is to Earth? Yeah, I think that's a part of the movie that... Obviously, it's a plot hole, or you know, you read some of those articles that you linked. Um, you know, there's some sort of a big conspiracy right. that, you know, it was actually, you know, the humans used it to incite, yeah, incite the war. war. That which, wouldn't be the first. You know, logistically makes, yeah, exactly, and logistically it makes more sense because, yeah, Clondathu's on the other side of the galaxy. There's no way that there's no way that they could do that without some sort right. of a you know, faster than light travel. Or I read somewhere that somebody thought that they had wormhole technology, which right. you know that would make it make more sense. But there's no, you know, hints of that or anything in the movie at all. Yeah, there's nothing in the film that would justify that interpretation. Right. right. So. Um, but I did. So I, in the show notes, and I, I sent it out to you guys that that Reddit fan theory about. Um, that uh, the Denise Richards character deliberately nudged that, <laughs> saw that. Uh, that, that asteroid <laughs> off course, and that's what landed in, in Buenos Aires. I thought, you know what? That's kind of plausible. Interesting, right. but it still has holes, too. <laughs> yeah, if she hadn't bumped up against it, it wouldn't have had a different course. Right. Yeah, their, their economy was falling flat. They needed to stimulate it by war. I wish there was a little more to back that theory up, because I, I like that theory. But <laughs> if, you're, if you look at it, it that doesn't hold yeah. up either, because... 
Yeah. 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 It's yeah. a fan thing. But I like that. So. <laughs> it does kind of remind me of a conspiracy theory I read about Pearl Harbor in World War yeah. II. <laughs> yeah. That was uh, planned or staged or something. Mm-hmm. Or that, you know, Roosevelt knew it was coming mm-hmm. and, and let it happen because he needed the pretext yeah. for war. Right. I, which I don't buy, but. No. Well, there's that 9-11 truthers thing, too. True. Oh, there's a Pluter's yeah. truthers things going on right now. No, that's just oh. a Death Star. Didn't you see that up-close HD shot? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's no moon. <laughs> so, did any did anybody else watch or listen to any of the commentaries or anything like that? Any behind-the-scenes stuff? and any, Anything you want to, any light you want to shed on the movie? No, nah, I watched it on VHS, dude. Yeah, we did watch it on VHS <laughs> at James's house. Um, so... Uh, you know, the, the funny thing is, the sound of it rewinding was a comforting sound. <laughs> it reminded me of of, uh, of being a kid. So yeah, I didn't uh, I didn't listen to any commentary tracks, but I watched a making of feature that was on uh, my DVD set, and uh, it was actually pretty interesting. And they did show like storyboards and art and stuff from when they wanted to. They wanted to keep in at least if they couldn't have the whole you know armor. Um, they wanted to at least have them um, have like jump boots so they could still right. be on the bounce. And uh, those. So like in Super Mario Brothers? <laughs> Hopefully better than that. Hopefully better than that. I think they could have pulled that yeah. off. Um, but the art was pretty cool. You know, they just had like sort of jet boots on and stuff like that. But they wanted to keep that in. But, you know, budget wise, they couldn't do that. And then they would have had to do a lot of wire work that they didn't think would work. Yeah. Um, so, again, I think. You know, for the effects that they had at the time, it was probably a good idea. And they talked the whole, pretty much the whole making of, they were kind of talking about what Alverhoven wanted to make and that it kind of goes exactly against what Heinlein wrote. You know, sort of op- exact opposite views of the way that that society would be, where that's why it sort of right. stayed with the conventional weapons and the ships and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. He wanted it to harken back to World War Two and everything like that, because you know he was a civilian during World War Two and everything. And they're like, maybe, maybe he shouldn't have given it to him to to direct this. So, New, kind of a backlash. Yeah. Well, and as I understand it, Verhoeven actually started reading the book and lost interest and and didn't like it. Right. Yeah. So I I did listen to the the director and writer commentary on on the DVD uh, yesterday, and. He said straight out that the message of the movie is that war makes fascists of us all, which I think is a is a it's it's a bumper sticker. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's it's reductionistic. Um, it's it's such an absolute statement that I'm like right. that is not possibly true. Um, if you if you changed it to give it a little nuance, war can make fascists of us all. Then then I'm like, yeah, okay, I, I buy that. But not that it does. No, right, but I don't yeah. think every war is a good war, but I don't think every war is a bad war either. Right. Yeah, I mean, so what, what I gathered from that behind the scenes was that it was to be, a, you know, a big satire the whole time. And like you're saying, some mm-hmm. people are claiming that it's this brilliant satire, and I don't know if I agree with that. But I think if you watch it when yeah. you're younger, mm-hmm. like I did when I first saw it, you know, I was like, oh, it was just, you know, good kind of action Boobs, bombs, yeah. bugs, cool. And then when you're when you're a little older, you can obviously the see. Yeah. <laughs> when you're older, you can see some of that. You know, Lenny Reifenstahl, Nation's Pride, propaganda, satire. So you can see that, but I don't know if it's super brilliant or anything like that. What I thought was the the book. You know, the kind of theme of that is what is the cost of 
authority, right? Authority and responsibility. There was mm-hmm. that, that interesting kind of interplay in there. And so if the book is about the price of voting, the movie, and, and they actually said this on the commentary, the movie is about the price of sex. Because Johnny goes into federal service to follow Carmen, and then Dizzy <laughs> goes in to follow Johnny. So, And Dizzy dies right after they have sex. <laughs> right. Yep. That that is uh that's one of the tropes, right? Sex kills. Right. I did like her death scene. We me and my, both, my wife both commented on it that it was, you know, it wasn't uh pretty at all. It was pretty undignified and I thought that was something you don't see a lot and I thought it was you know, sort of refreshing to see <laughs> a sort of messy death right. scene. She looks pretty gross, so. Yeah. So evidently um on the commentary they talked about kind of the audience reaction to Carmen. Um, because of the whole love triangle thing, because she couldn't decide if she wanted to be with Johnny or wanted to be with whatever the other guy's name was, and and the fact that she dumped Johnny, then audience the audience totally turned on her and couldn't get behind her. I thought I I just couldn't get behind her because I thought she was awful. But yeah. So I have run out of things to say about the movie. Anybody else? Colin. Well, I can say that the general public liked the movie better than I did. It's sixty eight percent fresh at Rotten Tomatoes. And it did make money. It was commercially successful. It mm-hmm. won awards uh, at the Saturn Awards for Best Costume and Best Special Effects. Huh. Special effects, I'll give it. Costume, costume I, I, I guess, I mean... Did, didn't they, like, reuse a bunch of costumes for a lot of older sci-fi movies? Oh, they were really talking about the bugs. Oh, okay. Probably, yeah. <laughs> Their bug <laughs> costumes. <laughs> you know, though, um, Firefly reused the uniforms. Yep, I was going to say that. <laughs> right, in, in for one, the, for in the Alliance, episode. yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That was definitely you know, fascist. G- given given the mm-hmm. Starship Troopers' popularity and your your so called success, Colin, um, I'm surprised that two and three went so horribly awry. Have you ever watched them? I tried watching three last night. Okay, see, I tried watching two the other day. Yeah, well, I didn't try watching two because you had told me about watching two. So I figured, yeah. And I listened to the interview with Kato, and he said that they actually had the powered armor in three. So I'm like, oh, let's see what they did for the power armor. Well, first of all, the meant, powered armor. I think he meant the third sequel, because there's, there's four. Well, they had the powered armor in Starship Troopers Three Marauder. Oh, did they? Yeah, okay. but not until like the last twenty minutes, unfortunately. Wow. And the powered armor was horrible. So, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. Well, I watched the movie for about five minutes, and then I just started skipping forward until I found the powered armor. And I'm like, oh, this nice. is it, really? This is horrible. It was bad. <laughs> So I watched part of two. Like I watched like half of it, and I'm like, there, there's even more gratuitous nudity in it. And then, then there's a weird sort of alien parasite kind of thing. And so it almost turns into a zombie movie. Right. Um, they did have more effective weapons. They had you know ray guns, which is nice. Ooh. But it all looked it looked so cheap, and it, and yeah. everybody on it is a B list actor. Right. And it's I've determined that one of the benchmarks for if you're on the B list is if you were in one of those sequels. Right. So. <laughs> Maybe C or D list. I don't know. <laughs> Straight to video is usually not a good sign. <laughs> no, no. So w- one interesting thing though is the uh, the lady who is the captain of the Roger Young in the movie uh, is actually plays a different character in Starship Troopers Two. She plays a sergeant. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. So I guess she had transitioned from the A list to the B list <laughs> because they're running That's out funny. of human bodies, so they have to clone them. <laughs> well, why don't we kind of wrap up? You know, I like the movie. I, I think it's okay. I, I don't think it's some brilliant satire. I, I, and to me, the acting is, it, it totally takes me out of it. The, the only, you know, the bright spots obviously are Clancy Brown and Michael Ironside. Um, mm-hmm. One of my real problems is the kind of the end of the movie, you have 
the Clancy Brown character kind of being the hero with the whole brain bug thing off screen where he captured the brain bug. And I'm like, well, you just hinted at a more interesting ending to the movie. If you would have followed Clancy Brown in instead of that's that's how, that's how the, that's how the book ends though. Yeah, I guess that is, it is kind of how it goes. I was surprised by that one. When I read the book, (laughs) it was the same way. I did think the brain bug effects were, were pretty outstanding. Oh, the bug effects in general, I think were awesome. Yeah. Well, any other final thoughts on the film and then we, we can rank them. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I thought the uh, the effects are really, really good and still surprisingly hold up, you know, so many years later. And mm-hmm. again, like what you said, I, you know, for what it's worth, it's, I think it's a good sort of action movie. Like, you don't have to think too much about it, unfortunately, you know, it'd be nicer if it was a little more in, intelligence in there, but I think you can turn your yeah. brain off and watch it for what it is, and it's kind of funny, and yeah, it's not a brilliant satire, but... I don't think it's uh, hor- right. horrible by any means. And yeah, the effects are really good. And I like the, the action sequences a lot and everything. So, What do you guys think about a remake? That's what I was just going to bring up. I'm like, what, what do we want to see in that? Right. Be- because it's been talked about for some time. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think I had heard 2016. But And it, it's mentioned in your interview with Kata. So I figured we could talk right. about that. Right. And it, you know, it is just a rumor, but right. But yeah, what, what do you, cool you want to see? Be? The capsule drop. Yeah. To have powered armor. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah I want to see the Cap Troopers, right? Cap they, troopers. they actually called them Cap Troopers, and you never saw the capsules in, yeah. the, in the movie. Well, they were in caps in the movie. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they don't fit. They don't fit. They're always falling in their eyes. <laughs> yeah. I really think the armor would be just like the armor. In my mind, I'm picturing the armor in Edge of Tomorrow, but then there's some cool egg-shaped thing that gets shot out of a ship. I think it'd be pretty cool. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I think they could probably, you know, the problem with powered armor, you know, any kind of thing that's going to completely encase an actor is actors don't want to be completely encased. They want to show their faces. So, yeah, I, I think I think I agree with you, Nick, that something like exoskeleton more would, would be appropriate. It'd be good enough for me anyway, as long as they have some kind of powered armor. I want to see them doing those jumps. I want to see somebody, you right. know, I want to see, I want to see a, a skinny get hit with a <laughs> thrower. Yeah. The remake would be fun to have the skinnies, caps. Uh, powered armor and effective weapons. I mean, in yeah, the book, I mean, they their weapons seem pretty sick, you know. Yeah. And in the movie, they're just getting raped by the bugs. It's stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're fodder for the war. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Well, so one thing, I, you know, I've seen some like old movies on AMC, um, like the movies about the Zulu wars, and there's definitely some scenes in there that are very reminiscent of the the British trying to hold off hordes of Zulu, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, I think they did that deliberately. Sure. Um, so it was it was interesting at least to me. But but if you haven't seen those movies, then then you totally you'd miss right. that. Well, I, there is something to be said for numbers, right? That's probably that's kind of what that illustration is. Right. Yeah. Uh, Colin, what do you think about a remake? What do you want to see? I think you guys hit it. You know, it can't be a satire. Maybe you mm-hmm. sh- maybe you should have a dissenter, someone that, that would debate against Johnny and Dubois, uh, yeah. but not not the way it was it was presented because it it destroys something that was good. I mean, it won the 1960 Hugo for heaven's sake. So whether yeah. you agree with the politics or not, you know the level of thoughtfulness that's missing from the movie just yeah just ruined it for me. Yeah, I definitely agree, and I like that idea of of just bringing maybe some balance to it. You know, have have a dissenting opinion, and that that could definitely work. Because then you can let the audience decide who they side mm-hmm. with instead of spoon feeding it to them. 
Well, why don't we rank them? Nick, you want to go first? Uh, sure. Yeah, so like I said, I wasn't a huge fan of Highline to begin with, and maybe that was uh, you know, bringing in some baggage, but I wasn't a huge fan of his writing style. Mm-hmm. And it was the last half of it was just it was it was hard for me to get through. I was just I just lost interest, unfortunately. Um and I think I have read some other military sci fi too that you know, I thought was a lot better, like uh the John Scalzi Old Man's War, I think is great you know, military sci-fi trilogy and like Ender's Game. Um, so I'd actually would suggest those books before this. So I'd, I'd actually rank the movie and then the book, unfortunately. And that's, I mean, the movie's not great either. But again, like we talked about with the iRobot, you know, comparison, it's not, it's not a good adaptation. So they're kind of completely different yeah. stories. But story-wise, yeah, I... based on your enjoyment, right? Exactly, yeah. And so I enjoyed the movie a little bit better i think so movie than book okay james uh book movie okay is it close nah nah i don't know it's two different things really it's apples and oranges yeah i agree uh do i need to ask colin no the book is always right (laughs) i like the book (laughs) what is this movie you guys keep talking about it's almost that as these other star trek movies you keep bringing up <laughs> we we can't get one of these in without Colin taking a dig at the Star Trek movies. Um, yeah, I go book movie too. I, to me, there's no comparison. I, you know, I I think it's it's one of those movies. If I flip past it on television, I'd probably I'd probably leave it on. Um, but I think I'd prefer to watch it uh, off of television so that they don't have the unnecessary nudity. Although I did I did think it was interesting, and one one kind of bit of trivia about that is. Um, you know that that shower scene that they have in the, in the film is supposed to show the equality of of men and women and all races. You know, they're they're all on on a level playing field, but some of the actors were kind of uncomfortable with filming that nude scene, and so they asked Fairhoven and his director of photography to film it in the nude as well, <laughs> which they did. And, and the the, uh, the writer on the, on the commentary said, and then they wished they hadn't asked him. To. <laughs> <laughs> so not not a young man that might not be good naked, right? Okay, so we've got that. So I think I'll slice in the interview with Keith Cotto at the end, kind of after after the sign-off, and uh, maybe after the blooper reel, if we have one. Did did any of you have any comments about the interview that you wanted to get on record that we can slice in here, too? Oh, I liked the interview. I thought it was good. Um, thank you, Mr. Cotto. So I do want to put in a plug, though, for the next episode. I'm going to release the... The balance of the interview. I'm putting the Starship Troopers specific stuff into this episode, but for the next one, I've got about an hour of other um, kind of general discussion of, of other topics, including predestination, um, which I thought was really cool. And and just about, you know, Heinlein book reading suggestions and some discussion of, of controversies about him as an author. And, um, yeah. and then a lot of stuff also, of course, about the Heinlein Society itself, which does a lot of good. They, they do blood drives and they, they kind of work on passion projects that, that uh, Heinlein was passionate about. So uh, he was an interesting fellow. And, uh, and Keith Cotto was extremely generous with his time. So, because I, mm-hmm. I had him on the, on Skype for like an hour, I will say, you know, the audio quality is not the greatest um, because it was me skyping to him on a cell phone, and so right at the beginning of the Starship Troopers section, there's there's it's a little garbled, but I think it it clears up for most of the rest. Oh, of yeah, it. it's yeah, fine. it gets better. It gets better. Uh, it's yeah. only really a few minutes of garbly in the beginning, and then it. I th- I thought it got a lot better, and it was fine. Yeah, I appreciated his book recommendations. Yeah, that was really detailed. That was cool. Yeah, yeah. No, I yeah. liked it. Yeah. I, 
that's why I chose uh, The Moon is the Hardest Mistress. <laughs> oh, nice. Anyhow, I'll, I will release that as uh, episode number 27. Uh, so that, that gives us an easy one. I'll, I'll get it out in a couple of weeks. You wanted to read some emails? I did, yes. Actually, I wanted to thank a couple of people who have... Um, have contacted us. And it's not so much I want to read their emails, I just want to say thanks for, for getting in touch. So I wanted to say thanks to Peter Bailey. Um, he got in touch asking if we would consider doing Frankenstein, which we kind of tentatively have on the schedule for November this year. We were going to do October, but The Martian switched places with the, the new Frankenstein adaptation. So we will be doing that. We, we're just going to have to determine what we're going to hit on Frankenstein, because that's one of those things with a bazillion adaptations. Right. I think I heard strong support from James for Young Frankenstein. <laughs> and of course, we'll do, you know, the whatever the new Victor Frankenstein, I think, is the name of the movie that's coming yeah, out. That sounds right. And then also, I wanted to say thanks to Adam Underwood, who got in contact and he was asking about I Am Legend. And that's another one that's going to be a long haul to, to do because it's a full length novel and it's three films. And actually, he, he mentioned that there's a. Another adaptation, because there's uh, The Last Man on Earth is the first adaptation of that. Then there's The Omega Man, the Charlton Heston cheese fest. That movie's awesome, though. (laughs) And and then I Am Legend with Will Smith. And then there's another one called I Am Omega. I'm not sure if we're going to cover that one. But but thank you to Adam and Peter for for getting in touch. And on that note, if you would like to get in touch, you can fill out our contact form, as a couple of these guys did, which is on the website, which is pavementpodcast.com, or connect with us on Twitter, which is, what is it, James? Uh, I'm not on Twitter. <laughs> At Pavement Podcast. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. And then Facebook.com slash, I think you can do this. Pavement Podcast. There we go. All right. <laughs> yes. And you can let us know if there's something that you think we should cover, or if you want to talk about what we are going to be talking about next, and we need to discuss that now. What are we going to do next? So here's the thing. Yeah, I did. I, I put a poll. I put a poll up on our website and had people vote, and the actual clear winner was... Uh, a Sound of Thunder, which is a Ray Bradbury short story. Ah, sweet. It is uh, one film that has some similarity to it and an episode of Ray Bradbury <laughs> Theater that, w- that we'll also cover. So that'll be good. That We'll do that for August. And then I think we decided to do Jumper for September. So if you want to read ahead, uh, go find a copy of A Sound of Thunder, which is a very brief short story, and then uh, start reading Jumper, which is pretty awesome and very different than the movie. Right. Yeah. And... We also are going to try to cover The Iron Giant if it comes to a theater near us, because it's getting a theatrical re-release with extra footage. Yeah. Really? So so we'll see if it, if it comes to Portland, which I could see it coming. Right. So I think we're about ready to sign off, so I wanted to say thanks again to Nick for joining us, and uh, do you have anything, any projects you want to plug or... Uh, yeah, like I mentioned before, uh, my twin brother kind of got me into podcasting and stuff, and he has a movie review blog, so I kind of wanted to plug that for him. Um, on Facebook, it's BJ's Movie Review, or uh, you just go to bjsmoviereview.blogspot.com. He just does short cool. reviews of movies. Some of them are video, like 10 minutes. Um, they're spoiler-free, and... Um, <laughs> It's really, if he doesn't like a movie, it's really funny. So <laughs> nice. those ones are kind of enjoy. <laughs> he tears them apart nice. pretty good. And he's got a good like ranking cool. of movies. So if you like his Is it any taste, movie or just a certain genre? Go through that pretty good. Um, any movie. Okay. Anything that he's Sweet. watching currently. Well, yeah. Send, send me the link and I'll put it in the show notes. And yeah, uh, we can we can give him a shout out on Facebook as well. But yeah, thanks again for, for joining us and for you know volunteering to be our, our 
guinea pig for this because yes. we we'd never done with a with a non co-hosted guest. Thank you, Nick. It was nice to speak oh, to thanks. you. Out. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me on. This has been fun. It's uh, great to talk to other sci-fi lovers. So just let me know if you need a guest host again. <laughs> okay. Bless us, Seth. Okay, I will sign off with uh, another modified pavement pounder's blessing. Which we never do the original, so like, there's probably <laughs> listeners who are like, "What? What? What is this blessing of which you speak?" speak? And, and uh, it was originally, "May the road rise up to meet you, and may the book always fall open to where you left off." But we, we keep modifying it. So I think for this one, "May the road rise up to meet you, and may your armor always be powered." Oh yeah. So thanks everybody for listening, and please stay tuned for the interview with Keith Cotto after the blooper reel. Thanks. Have you read um, Silent But Deadly? <laughs> Silent But Deadly? <laughs> this is why we're not doing this podcast in your house right now, James. <laughs> hey, uh, my dog's barking, which probably means that the contractor's here. So if anybody needs a water break or something, we'll take it here. I'll be right back. Okay. Bacon break. <laughs> Crunch it up, buddy. <laughs> I gotta go cook more bacon. You're just rubbing it in. <laughs> <laughs> Tongue emoticon. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I think I'm gonna have to cut off. I think the tongue emoticon is just when I pasted it into my document Whoops. here. <laughs> I think it, it literally translated that. I'm not sure. That's funny. I, I have to look it back on Facebook. So it is my distinct pleasure to be joined by Keith Cotto, president of the Heinlein Society. Keith, thank you so much for talking with me. Well, thank you for your invitation to be on the podcast. Why don't we go ahead and talk about the book itself? It's I think it's influential and kind of controversial, but maybe we start with a positive. So would you like to talk about the influence that it has? Well, it, um, believe it or not, Starship Troopers was once required reading for all the service academies. Wow. Yeah, and um, the basic premise of the book is, should there be some kind of what we would now call poll tax on the voting franchise? Right. Should there be some limit to the voting franchise? And what should that limiting filter be? Mm-hmm. So, uh, Highline, in writing about this, he, he said that there was, um, in original days of the Constitution, there was a defect of poll tax. You had to be a landowner, or you had to be some, quote, pillar of the society, or someone right. who who obviously wished to sustain a, a, a stable society. Mm-hmm. And of course, we know historically that that aces out racial groups and genders and things like that, mm-hmm. and slowly that has been rectified. But the question still remains, and in, I believe it was in the Expanded Universe, one of his essays, he, he says that there still is this problem when you have an electorate, uh, the only requirement to vote is that you be over 18 and have a warm body temperature of 98.6. Right. And, and so Starship Troopers was, in, was intended to to use on the, the maximum poll tax that you could assess. That is, are you willing to risk your life to vote? Right. And he he makes it very clear in in this essay that being in the military was not the only way to do it. That it could more properly be called federal civil service. That mm-hmm. you could serve time in some function or other, but not be allowed to vote until after you get out. Right. And. Uh, and so that was that was the basis of the of the book, and as I alluded to earlier, there was a um, uh, he was writing Stranger in a Strange Land in the late fifties, and the, he he uh, there came upon this uh, decision by Eisenhower to uh, limit nuclear tests uh, nu- nuclear tests, mm-hmm. and 
apparently this uh, Ginny and, and Robert were quite angry at this, and so they began a campaign called "Who Are the Heirs of Patrick Henry," which he, uh, you know, he, he urges people to write Congress and the president to not take up this test ban, and hmm. it, it went through anyway. And so that's when he decided. He says to to stop working on what he called the heretic at the time, stranger in strange land, mm. and begin writing Starship Troopers. And and he he answers some of the criticisms like it's too militaristic. He says, well, of course it is because his his profess profession would have been as a career naval officer, mm-hmm. you know. And he he pointed out to the infantry because, as he said, people in the navy usually can get killed, but. They usually have had a, a hot meal and a, a lot of sleep and such a decent time before, and so do people in the Air Force. But the grunts in the infantry really, you know, slog it out. They go for a month at a time without bathing. They have to sleep in terrible conditions, eat terrible food, and uh, they're at tremendous risk all the time. And so that was the basis for Starship Troopers. Mm-hmm. So as I said, it was it was once required reading at the service academies. I, I believe they've discontinued that now. Hmm. And, uh, and it's, the question still persists, should there be some filter for the voters franchise? Now, in the expanded universe, he publicly comes up with some other scenarios. For instance, uh, he says, uh, well, suppose in the voting booth, you have to deposit some amount of gold, and you have to answer a, a simple question, like to solve a quadratic equation. And, and if you don't, uh, they grab the gold and you leave without voting. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> or, 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 or better yet, survival of the, of the uh, fittest, where uh, you enter the booth and you deposit your gold. If you don't answer the question, the booth opens and it's empty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, he, he concludes the section by saying that, um, and again, this is Heinlein being funny, I think. He says, uh, you know, the only people who have a, an obvious investment in the future are, are women who have given birth. And so he said, maybe we should uh, limit the voting franchise to mothers. Wow! You know, and that's where it ends. But but yes, the bottom line is 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 who um, who who should be allowed to vote. Um, or I, I guess that's a happy phrase. But you know, the, the voting franchise is a fairly sober thing to do. Mm-hmm. And if you choose unwisely, you're you're in a world of hurt afterwards. Yeah. And uh, even if you choose well circumstances out of your control may may limit what can and cannot be done. But that was but that was the premise of, of Starship to right? that uh, mm-hmm. only you could concentrate on, on military veterans but as as a self selected group that would uh, enable a, a more stable society. Right. So that's the good part. <laughs> I've heard it said that in, in a representative democracy, um, we get the government we deserve. And and I like that notion in Starship Troopers that that there's a responsibility that goes along with that authority and and I don't know why that's controversial. I I know that the you know the militarism angle um, offends some people and I think that that's what happened with with Paul Verhoeven, um, which we'll get to. Right. So uh, now so that was what I could come up with on top of my head on on the good part of it. No. Yeah. That's great. So shall we go to the bad part or? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I've I've seen people doing analyses of the book that that it promotes racism because it kind of takes the face off the enemy, you know, and and dehumanizes them. Well, of course, they're bugs, you know, they're they're not human, um, and so I think that's kind of a. I'm not sure where that comes from. Um, the race charge is always thrown at you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I went up at you know, the last resort of the intellectually benighted 
know, because it's an easy choice to throw out because it's very difficult to rebut. Yes. I mean, by my surname, I'm obviously Asian, and, and uh, yet when I met Heinlein, you know, he was, he was at his own party in 1977, and uh, there were only six of us as a group at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, he, he met he met very warmly a, a black fan from New York, and he, he personally greeted you at the door, shook your hand, asked you what you wanted to drink, and fetched it himself. Right? Hmm. They told all these funny, funny stories about Apollo 11, Apollo 12, and uh, uh, such like that. And, and if, if there's one word that described Heinlein as well, it was gracious. Hmm. You know, I, I, was, I was a nobody here, and he invited me up to his, his party. and uh, you, you just stood there in awe of the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we you know, so, you know, racism, well, you're right, the protagonists are bugs. <laughs> so. Right, but but when you look at the the mobile infantry, it's very multi-ethnic. You know, Johnny Rico is, is Filipino, and, and you have other other names that sound Latin, and, and so I, I think it's a strange charge to, to say that somehow he was racist. Right. And then, and then well, with the misogyny uh, thing, the, the fact that the top pilots in the Navy are all women, I, th- I thought was fascinating. Well, actually, that's that's consistent with a comment he made on the Apollo 11 telecast. This was a telecast where he was on the West Coast uh, in Los Angeles, and Arthur C. Clarke and Walter Cronkite were in the East Coast on, uh, on the landing of Apollo 11. And by the way, the Highland Society has a copy of that tape that we're allowed to show at conventions, but we're not allowed to disperse because it's still owned by CBS News. Oh, wow. Anyway, there's um, um, he, he talks about how... Uh, the entire human race would move into space. And, uh, and that he, he said at that time, he felt, you know, that women pilots, and he cited the, um, the American Olympic ice skater, Peggy Fleming by name, would, would make excellent pilots. Hmm. Right? And, and it, it goes to a shot of Clark, and he's sitting there with this kind of, you know, uh, okay, Bob, <laughs> kind of expression, you know. <laughs> And so, but, you know, I thought he was, he was very pressured in that. And, and so it was very obvious that that was the opinion he held. And, and again, this Spider Robinson, the rah, rah, rah article, he, he makes the point that um, uh, he feels some people are upset about Heinlein's attitude toward women because he acknowledges men and women are different, really. Yeah, and that that is somewhat uh, controversial today, so... Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't see why that that should be. But I don't uh, by the way, uh, you know, the, in, in other Heinlein stories, there are other ethnic characters. I mean, in um, in Sixth Column, which w- apparently was uh, highly influenced by World War II, there's a story idea by John W. Campbell. He um, he actually has a a, a character named Frank Roosevelt Matsui, who's highly pivotal in the uh, in the end of the story. All right, in in Tunnel in the Sky, the main protagonist, Rod Walker, is black. You know, and, and not many people know it, he, he actually has a note in the archives that says so. Uh, and there's a little clue, there are two little clues in the story itself. One is he mentions, uh, there's another character, an African girl named Caroline. And Rod says to his own sister, Caroline looks like you, right? Hmm. So, so, yes, he would slip these in every now and then. And as I said, I don't know if he was forced to change them because of editorial direction or whether he just subconsciously kept it under wraps, but uh, he would do that every now and then. You know? 
So, so faith this year, as I said, is, is kind of hard to swallow if you, if you, if you know who the man is. Mm-hmm. And who knows why. Well, so when we get to talking now about the about the film adaptation, um, from what I understand, Fairhoven never even finished reading the book. Um, as I understand it, it was actually based on a different screenplay, and they pretty much just kind of slapped the Starship Troopers label onto it, much in the way that the iRobot film was based on a previous script and, and sort of right. superficially turned into iRobot. Um, mm-hmm. But the some of the costume design in Starship Troopers is very obviously redolent of, of Nazi imagery. You know, the, the uniforms that some of the characters wear look like SS uniforms. Um, and, and so that fascism and racism thing to me, it completely falls flat for one. The, the cast is completely whitewashed when, when you actually look at the ethnic makeup in the book compared to the film, the film, everyone's white. And, and that just bothered me. I thought if if you're going to try to do something to protest what you find objectionable in the book, you should at least mirror the things that are undoubtedly good, like the ethnic mix. Mm-hmm. Well, um, the when I mentioned the origin meeting at WesterCon of, of the Heinlein Society, it was at that same WesterCon, if I recall, that film clips of the upcoming Starship Troopers were shown. Mm-hmm. And I seem to recall the producer saying exactly uh, what you said, that there was a, a different script uh, in play. And, and this is entirely my conjecture now, that uh, when, you know, they, they, they have a legal department that checks to make sure that you're not violating copyright. And someone, uh, I, I would guess, pointed out that this is much too close to this timeline story. Mm-hmm. And so the most expedient thing would be just to buy the rights to the story, and then once you have the rights, you can do whatever you want with it. Right. Now, I agree with I agree with the Nazi imagery and and the racial composition of the of the film. Um, it is also pretty much on record that Verhoeven uh, willfully tried to ridicule the Heinlein story. Yeah. In the in the movie version. Now I I can tell you a, a sweet little piece of gossip here. Sure. That. Uh, so this is a, that you may recall in the past year or so there was a a series called Prophets of Science Fiction on the Science Discovery Channel. Mm-hmm. It was produced by Ridley Scott of Alien, and the episode for Heinlein. I was then the secretary of the Heinlein Society, and so I got an email from one of the producers, and so I called the guy up, and he said, "Well, the script is already put to bed, but what we're looking for are." photographs and things we can show and people to interview. And he said, yes, we have the grandson of H.G. Wells and we have Paul Verhoeven. And this was my reaction. <laughs> okay. And then finally I said, you know, that film was not well received in the Highline community. So yes, we understand. So we linked up and the, the trust gave their permission to uh, access the Heinlein archive. I don't know if you Again, you listen to notice, but they're actually all the papers that Heinlein donated to the University of California Santa Cruz have been digitized, have been systematized, have been organized, and are now accessible for a modest fee hmm. for people to go in and look. Right. Uh, so there were there were several photographs that were made available to the producers that were not easily found in public, and uh, I remember putting them in contact with Jerry Cornell, uh, Bill. Patterson and Robert James, 
So Robert and Bill, they go together. There's a, it's a studio in Marina Del Rey. And they said they sat there for about eight hours. And they, they said that the questions were very well prepared. But while Robert and Bill were there, they managed to convince the people affiliated uh, with the show not to use Verhoeven's interview. Wow. And so the if you look at the Prophets of Science Fiction episode about Heinlein, Verhoeven is not mentioned at all. Wow. As a viewer of that movie and a, a reader of the book, I, I, I don't believe that Verhoeven has anything valid to say about Heinlein. Yeah, yeah. Well, so it is what it is. It is on the public uh, record, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as we, we both swapped gossip that there may be a Russian Cooper's movie in the future that gets it right. Yeah, and you know, one of the common complaints about um, the original Starship Troopers movie is the lack of the powered armor, which is such a big factor in in the book. But I don't have so much of a problem with that just because of the, the technology of the time. I don't think they could have pulled it off in a convincing way. Um, you, you know, it's all of the rest of the film that is the problem for me. Um, right. I've, I've, I've heard it described as this brilliant satire, and I, I just don't see it. Yeah, I, I don't either. Now, of course, they did have two sequels that went straight to video. But they did have the powered armor suit in that. Oh, did they? Okay. Oh, yeah. I, I think there's I think the third three one. of them now. Yeah. So yeah, I, yeah. I started watching Starship Troopers 2 the other day, and, and I, I just I shut it off. Um, I, did, I didn't, didn't, didn't find it worth my time. <laughs> All right. Well, I will sign off. But um, again, just Keith, thank you very much. Oh, yeah, you're, you're quite welcome. Again, thank you for the opportunity.